Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. This stuff isn't always demonic, but if I'm not acting right, if I'm doing something contrary to the nature that God created me with, then I'm opening usually a door for the demonic realms. And so then I might start having trouble. And if I don't respond to that trouble when it's first engaging with me, it can become a part of me. Oh, that's when somebody becomes uh, possessed or oppressed by a demonic entity. It's because they first opened the door to it and then they fellowship with it in some way, not necessarily knowingly, but by not uh, turning away from the thing that, that uh, is part of that other nature. So we have to learn to hate what God hates and love what God loves. And I have to sometimes see in myself where I've opened the door to something like that. Lots of people in the body of Christ have been taught to do spiritual warfare, but they don't always do a good job at closing the doors. So we start trying to kick the devil's teeth instead of shut the door. Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. We're privileged to have Tim Bentz back with us today, and we're going to talk about the power of blessings and discovering the journey of getting to know Jesus and how to discover how it is that we are made and to live our life and our gifts that we've been given in such a way that he is glorified and honored and his kingdom grows in our circle of influence. And that's not a very easy thing. But as Tim says, it starts with a desire, not a technique, but a desire to get to know Jesus and engage with him on that discovery, on that journey. Welcome back, Tim. We're happy to have you back. And um, we want to get a a little more practical with this one. Um, And Luke, feel free to jump in with your own questions too. But what I'm thinking about is kind of this concept. And I know there's a there's a, a video that Charles Kraft did years ago that kind of talks about this concept that there's a lot of Christians, okay, they get saved, right? They're forgiven, they're on their way to heaven, but they tend to live life 
uh, not set free. They don't have abundance. They don't have freedom. They struggle. Um, they're not sure how to live by the spirit. They miss their God-given potential. And I think deliverance, as I'm learning, is part of that component, maybe. Um, and inner healing is, is another side. Um, I've, I've read uh, Charles Kraft, Kraft's book, uh, Defeating Dark, Defeating Dark Angels, a couple times. So I learned a lot from that. But just this idea of breaking strongholds, that's one thing, um, Tim, I want to pick your brain about. Uh, deliverance, inner healing, drawing close to God, you know, just kind of how you developed that. Um, and then what habits and disciplines that you have learned over the years that has maintained your relationship with God and, and living a life of abundance and freedom. So maybe, maybe start with, uh, I don't know, maybe start with strongholds, but wherever you want to start, I kind of want to just pick your brain on what habits you have incorporated how you've seen Christians overcome strongholds that, you know, patterns of thought that that just continue on. They feel stuck. They don't feel free. And and even the times where our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. How do we even have the will to do some of the things that we're supposed to do? Right. I was very fortunate because my time with God started at a young age and um, so nobody told me how not to do anything (laughs) (laughs) and that actually helped I think (laughs) Um, one of the things that Jesus did just right off the bat is he really gave me some instructions on just coming into the spiritual realm and it sounds so elementary but the first thing that I learned was never to try to navigate in the spiritual realm without centering it around him. And uh, lots of people that are prophetic or have a seer gift or even a, a very active imagination or dream life, they'll see a lot of stuff and then they won't look for Jesus in the encounter. And just that protocol of calling out to him and saying, you know, what am I seeing? What am I doing here? Uh, wanting him to take me by the hand and lead me to what he wanted me to encounter or wanted me to understand. I I gained some of that insight at about six years old. And I didn't realize how valuable that was because it was just something I've done for a long time. I, I was probably in my late 30s before I realized that other people didn't know how to do that. And... But I stopped talking about a lot of the stuff that I was encountering because lots of the body of Christ that I was uh, hanging out with didn't have a grid for it very well. Um, I, I understand that now. I don't see that as a negative. I see that as a as a kindergarten level of our growth that God always sort of takes us where he knows we are and helps us get where he wants us to be. And different people start out with different kinds of giftings. so. I didn't see myself as being extraordinarily gifted or having any advantages over anyone else. I just was having daily encounters with Jesus because I was head over heels in love with him. And um, he just, he he just pulled me into his world and that, that became as real to me as anything in everyday life. 
But I did get some elementary principles that now make a lot of sense. And one of them had to do with the spiritual realm itself, whether you're dreaming or whether you're just, you know, engaging in something in the spiritual realm. For me, I shut my eyes and I can see the spiritual realm. You know, um, not everybody has that ability to do until they have learned to navigate it a little bit. Um, so it starts out with desire. I really want to be with Jesus. I really want to see him. I, I want to know him. That's where it starts in my heart. And the, the more I let that grow, the easier it was to see in the actual um, engagement of something that he was wanting me to, to uh, communicate with him. If you don't have that kind of gifting, some people say, well, I don't see anything. Well, I don't know if what I'm seeing is really from God or not. That's perfectly normal. And there's nothing wrong with it unless you condemn yourself for it or you start comparing yourself to others and then you think that you're not as spiritual as they are. And to, to really just let yourself off the hook and say, Jesus, I'm on a journey with you. I want you to take me where you want me to go. And I want you to get me there how you want me to get me there. He will tailor all of his communication to what your gifting and design is, which may be a little different from another part of the body of Christ. And so to celebrate who you are and how he made you is important. And lots of people get hung up in this area because they, if they don't have a seer gift or if they don't have a prophetic gift, then they just think all that stuff is not right or not you know, real, and they'll dismiss it as that can't be Jesus, and that's absolutely going to block them from being able to have that kind of encounter with him. As you're making a judgment of somebody else in the body of Christ that he is gifted differently from you. And so when I, I recommend to people repent for those kinds of things. If you've ever said, I don't know if that's God or not, even if it's not, it's better to say, Jesus, what are you doing over there? Than it is to say that can't be God. You know? Because I, when I give Jesus the right to communicate with his people and I don't take that away from somebody else in the body of Christ, it unlocks my ability to go somewhere too. So now the other side of that, flip it over. If I am prophetic, if I am, you know, uh, more gifted at seeing, then you have to learn to to navigate in the spiritual realm so that you don't get defiled or you don't end up looking at things or gazing at things or, or trying to engage with something that God does not want you to. You know, and that that's not hard for a little kid because usually it's scary or it's, or it's frightening or it's, I've never seen that before. So we tend to stay away from stuff that is not uh, what God wants us to go to. But then even when you look at scriptures, almost every encounter that someone had with an angel was was pretty over the top. And in in, even in the language, it's stuff like they, he took my breath away or I fell as a dead man. Uh, he had to touch me and lift me up. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. We don't know what that means. <laughs> and so all, all of this language is is really about discovery. And. Instead of technique, if you just if you just sort of switch your thinking to I don't want to try to figure out the technique, I just want to go into discovery and trust that Jesus wants to know me as much as I want to know him. So he's going to help me discover what is pure and, and undefiled and holy 
and he's going to take me on a journey to engage with him the way he is. You know, if I have to change to do that, that's in his interest to change me. You know, and uh, so, but it it doesn't always happen overnight. Now, the next thing is the word itself. Um, I had another benefit and privilege that came mostly from my mother. She taught my brother and I how to read uh, with the scriptures. And her goal in life was to take a baby in one hand, the Bible in another, and spend her life putting them together. She did a pretty good job with both of us. So we learned how to read on the scriptures. Now, in one way, that's a real benefit because it was put in us at such a young age that I I was retaining the stories and I loved reading it and I had a love for the word of God before I was very old. I learned, I learned language at the same time I was learning the scriptures, you know, and, but then it it changed. When I got to be about six, uh, Jesus began engaging me directly about his word. And it's because he was concerned that a lot of what I was being taught was not accurate. Now, I was in a Baptist church, and 99% of what they taught was really good, you know. But there was a few things that weren't exactly scripturally accurate, but they thought they were. And Jesus began taking those things out of me at a very young age, helping me to discern truth from something that was just another person's opinion. And the way he did that is he said, I want you to do two things. I want you to... Uh, Go back to Genesis 1, and I want you to read just one or two verses or maybe a paragraph at the most, and then shut your eyes and call out to me and ask me to speak to you about what you just read. He said, don't read on to the next paragraph or the next verse until you've heard from me. And even if you spend a day or two thinking about that verse and I don't speak to you, just wait until I do. You know, continue to ponder it, pray it. This is actually meditate on it is the right, probably the right word, but that's a scary word to some people. But meditate just means to dwell on it, to think highly about it, to, to engage with it. And so um, for me, that was activated a lot of my imagination because I began to, to think, what would this sound like if I heard it spoken? What would this be like if I was standing in the scene and this was happening? You know, And I began to engage with the Word of God on a deep level without realizing how valuable that was until it started taking root in me. And what I found is that uh, it took me three and a half years to go through the entire Bible that way. But what happened by the time I got to Revelation is I had a real insight of some some level of thinking that Jesus had about what was written in the text. It wasn't that he added to it necessarily. It was just he opened my eyes so I could understand what he was trying to convey in that scripture. I also developed at that same time a little bit of an aversion. I didn't like English after that because one day Jesus told me that he didn't really like English. <laughs> and. Uh, I thought, well, if he doesn't like it, I don't like it either. So I had trouble with grammar class after that. Uh, but for for me, it was kind of comical. Lots his of translation. Of saying, yeah, his way of saying that is because I'm speaking to you and you're hearing me, but you're not actually comprehending 
the length and depth and breadth and width and height of what I'm saying to you because your language won't allow you to. Did he say, uh, did you get insight? Uh, it was Hebrew or some of the original language that the, the Bible was written in. Was that more? Um, he, he kept it quite he, elementary, but that was what I brought up. My, my first question was, actually, I repented because I was like, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I, it's never even dawned on me to ask you to speak to me in the language that you created the world with. And I just assumed that you liked English. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but he sort of chuckled he was like well I want you to learn the language that I wrote with with my finger but really what I want you to know is to know me and, and so you cannot know me even with the word of God in your hands to the level that I've en enabled it to because your language is prohibiting it And but I've, I tried to learn Hebrew uh, I struggled with it I went back to Jesus and I said, I'm trying to learn this. And it's like, I just don't have a brain that can wrap around it. And I, I need some help here. I want to talk to you in the language that you want to speak in. Yeah. Now, I don't think that that necessarily means that Hebrew is his favorite language, but it is what he spoke into existence. So, um, so I just, I, when I prayed for that, I thought he would give me some, I actually wanted him to just, you know, flip a switch on in my brain and, and supernaturally give me the capacity to understand everything. Absolutely. Um, he didn't do that. What he did was he gave me a very simple instruction, which sounded a little bit tedious and unnecessary, but I obeyed. He told me to write the scriptures in my own handwriting. And I thought, why do I need to do that? God, that's going to take me forever. I mean, it took me three and a half years just to read it the way you told me. Now you want me to write it, you know. And he didn't explain why. He just said, I, w I want you to write it out in my own in your own handwriting. And then I want you to read it again in your own handwriting. And uh, that sounded like a very tedious thing to do. And then I went back and and, you know, just randomly one day opened the word up and, and I noticed why well, he gave that same instructions to Joshua. He told him, write this book of the law and meditate on it night and day. Now, all Joshua had at that time was the first five books. Most likely he just got what Moses gave him, but he was still told to make his own copy. And that's pretty amazing to think that he wasn't a scribe. He wasn't a priest. But God told him to do the work of a scribe because it does something to your brain. It does something to your spirit. And um, and then I noticed that that was one of the instructions later that he gave to the kings. You know, uh, they they were supposed to do the same thing, and it was to help them remember. You know? So writing in your own handwriting helps you to remember something. It helps you to get it into your spirit, not just in your head. And I, as I did that, I noticed that even before I got the whole job done, just as I did it, I didn't even make it through, uh, I think, more than seven or eight books. And it was already transforming how I was thinking and hearing from God. So I, I noticed then that when Jesus would speak to me and it would be some kind of random thing that he would say to me, I would, I would very often be able to easily link it back with the scripture that I had read. 
but I'm finding lots of people have trouble doing that. And, and most of the time, I'm convinced that Jesus, uh, he, he can just, uh, he has so much capacity with language when you understand the real, the real design of the ancient Hebrew. But um, even if you don't know that, when he's speaking to you in whatever language you understand, he's going to take time to convey to you his heart, his meaning, his depth. Um, and then he's going to order your steps so that your experience is going to need that scripture. And what I found is that very often I would read a short passage in the day and before the day was over, I would run into some kind of circumstance where that very, that very passage would apply. And it was clear God was ordering my steps. He was, he was creating circumstances in my path to help me experience the word of God applied to my life and not just read in my head. And that made it come alive for me. Um, well, after completing that, I was nearly eight years old when I completed both of those things and really began to, to engage with God more with the word itself and not just with the prayer. Um, and, and, and first of all, let me back up and say prayer is just conversation. Don't make it any more than that. You know, uh, you can pray all day long. You can pray silently. You don't have to be formal. You don't have to hold your hands up. You don't have to be on your knees. Jesus just wants to talk to you and he wants to hear from you. you know? But when you pray, you need to always believe that he will hear you. you know? And he doesn't always answer immediately. You know? What he often does is he will take note of what you said and then he will set up a circumstance in your life so that you're going to live out the answer. You'll experience it in some way. Well, when he speaks, then it will be applied to your life in a way that you'll always remember. If he just answered us every time we made a statement, we would park it in our head and then we wouldn't know how to use it when we had an experience come up. And so he's a master at language. He, he knows how to communicate with us at the right expedient moment when it, when it has the highest level of application to our life. And I had to learn to trust um, that when I prayed, he actually heard me. He just didn't always say, okay, or he didn't always respond. He didn't always say, I'm going to do what you said. He just nodded his head, okay, I heard you. you know? But it was very clear as I lived out my life that he, not only did he hear me, but he was orchestrating things to help me apply the scriptures you know, and apply things that he was teaching me. Now, when it comes to the spiritual, you know, how to walk in the spirit, I didn't understand that. I, I was very carnal-minded. I was a typical child, and yet I was having these extraordinary spiritual experiences. You know? But that dichotomy of uh, I'm experiencing one thing over here that's off the charts and amazing and incredible. It's it's so incredible. I don't even know if I can tell anybody else about it. And then the other side of your brain says, I got to tell everybody about it. You know, um, at the same time, my, my carnal nature was like, well, you know, I'd, I'd rather just be out playing right now. And um, I want to go do something fun with my friends. And, and so I was having to learn to apply. Um, spiritual principles that I didn't really fully comprehend to everyday life you know, and dealing with all the things that a child's going to deal with and then 
Jesus really became my refuge. So whether it was something amazing and exciting that happened in my day, I would take it to him and tell him about it. Or if it was something bad that happened that day, he was my refuge. I wouldn't cry on somebody else's shoulder. I'd go cry on his. And I learned to process things by just being near to Jesus. And I think that's easy to say. It's so extraordinary valuable. Most people make something else in life their refuge, and then they only go to God when they're so desperate they don't know what else to do. And if he is your, is your refuge in times of trouble, meaning that you may not even, you know, to a child, you may not be in a life-threatening situation, but if somebody pushed you down, you're in trouble and you want to run to, I ran to Jesus. You know? So I often got instructions from him on how to respond to an everyday circumstance, you know. And I, I learned how to love that way. I learned how to, to be nice. I, I learned how to not be offended, you know. Um, those were not easy lessons, but found out that I wasn't very much like Jesus. And then when I experienced something that was a little bit difficult, he would transform me by helping me respond to it differently than I normally would have. If you don't make him your refuge, then you're the one that's going to make the decisions on how you respond to every circumstance. Until you hit something that you don't know what to do, and then you're going to, you're going to seek some other refuge, you know. Those can be a lot of different things. People sometimes uh, want to be alone. Other times they want to go out and do something crazy. Sometimes they go to a friend and cry on their shoulders. Sometimes they go to an advisor or a counselor or a ta- pastor or a teacher or a parent. And those are all, you know, not bad things in and of themselves unless they take you away from Jesus. Yeah. And so I just learned that, boy, it sure is a good idea to go to him first. You know? And sometimes I would get a clear instruction from him, still not know how to do it right. So then I would go to a counselor. Then I would go talk to my dad or talk to a pastor. And I'd say, hey, I heard this from Jesus, but I don't know how to do it. And and I would, I would value, highly value other people's testimony. I don't value very much other people's opinions. So if they have a testimony that, that is fruitful and that's what comes out of their mouth, then it's it's probably worth the trying to apply it to my life. But if they just tell me what they think or what they would do, it's not always right. And that doesn't mean it's wrong either. You have to be careful with that. But I would I would go back to Jesus if it was just an opinion. I'd say, Jesus, my you know, this is what my pastor told me. What do you have to say about that? And sometimes he would confirm it, and sometimes he would say, well, look at this scripture, and it would contradict what I just was told. And um, so, <clears throat> but then there's this other side. Because I was kind of prone to the spiritual realm, I started seeing demonic things too. And uh, this was very young. So um, my dad used to do this thing to me. He, he would come home from work, and he would love to engage with me and my brother a little bit. So he generally would, you know, go change his work clothes, and then he'd come back out of his room, and, and we'd be doing something else, or we'd be outside, and he'd, he'd find us. And sometimes he would just jump out and scare us. It was just a fun thing. And he'd pick us up and throw us around and wrestle with us. And my brother and I both loved that. And one day when I was quite young, I was just, I think, between six and seven, Jesus said to me, you need to get rid of all fear in your life. Yeah. 
Uh, fear is the number one detriment to engaging in the spiritual realm. So he said, I want you to get rid of fear in every level and every capacity of your life. And I was like, well, how do I do that? Because there's a lot of things that make me afraid. And he said, well, I want you to make fear afraid. He said, don't hesitate when you see something that makes you afraid. Uh, Look for me, find me, and then run right at it. (laughs) It's like, don't run away from it, run at it. I'll be there with you and I'll help you through it. But then I brought up the thing my dad did. I said, Jesus, there's two things that my dad likes to scare me, and that's always fun to me. Some of my friends like to see scary movies, and Halloween's coming up. What do I do about those things? And he's like, well, I want you to get rid of all fear, so don't open the door. Anything that makes you afraid you should not be wanting to do it. You should have an aversion to it. You know? But that, but not to where you totally don't overcome it. I, it was there's one re, one response to fear is to avoid it and not ever do anything that would cause you, you know, some risk. And that doesn't overcome it. So, but he's like, it's not a good idea to watch scary movies because that's opening a door to stuff that you don't need to. Sometimes you can't help that. You don't know there's going to be a scary scene in a movie, you know, or you don't know you're going to turn on the TV and that's going to be a part of the experience. So he said, in everyday life, this will come up often, but you have to overcome it. And he said, go tell your dad that I don't want him to scare you anymore. Yeah. And uh, now that was, I think, the very first time that I had a sense that I was hearing something that my dad was not. So I threw that back at him. I said, why don't you just tell him? <laughs> and uh, it, it it opened up kind of a can of worms of conversation because it, it bothered me um, on some level that I was hearing things from Jesus that my dad was not. Yeah. Um, my dad was a Baptist preacher. A lot of that was not because he didn't see God. He was a man of the word but he did not have the spiritual encounters that I did. And he did not have a testimony of hearing God the way I was hearing him, even at that age. And so it, when I told my dad that Jesus had said that, he received it very well. Um, he was remorseful for, I mean, when he thought about it, he realized, yeah, that I guess that could be a problem. And I was like, Dad, it's, it's a fun thing. Uh, Jesus is not telling you that he doesn't want you to play with me or have fun. He's saying, don't scare me anymore. And my dad changed that just overnight. He never did it again. Uh, But I began praying for him. God, would you please let him hear the way you're allowing me to hear? And Why is is that? I, I didn't understand that for a long time because it's just, for the most part, it's often attributed to our individual gifting. But I do believe that everybody that knows Jesus can hear God. So if you're not hearing or if you're not sure you're hearing, that is something that needs to be fixed, and it is fixable. Uh, Tim, let me ask you a question on that point. What would you say to someone that says, well, I don't want to stop watching scary movies, and I feel like that could be a benefit to me, or uh game video games that startled me or 
got violence in it. It's like, well, I feel like I'm facing my fears. I'm, I'm overcoming it. And it's actually making me, you know, so at what point do you kind of like you hide in a bubble and I don't want to face fear because I want a good relationship with the Lord, but at the same time, I want to overcome fear, which the Bible's talked about overcoming fear with love. Right. So what would you kind of, how would you kind of respond to someone that says, well, I want to face fear and still do some of these things? Well, it's, that's a great question because a, a lot of people, especially the present generation coming up, uh, video games are designed this way. They're, uh, we're, we're creating a whole generation of adrenaline junkies, I think. And, um, that's a legitimate question that lots of people are probably going to ask or are already asked. Um, usually if somebody asks me a question like that, I agree with them. I just say, okay, well, if that's what's working for you, um, just go talk to Jesus about it. And if, if he says that's the best thing for you to do, then, then go deeper, you know, but I, I'm pretty sure he won't. <laughs> it's like, just go talk to him about it, you know, Here's the difference. Like that actually may be beneficial for some people, but I don't want to encourage somebody to make that decision for themselves. Like go talk to Jesus about it. And, um, and whatever that's in the scripture, it's often the best, the best advice in all of scripture is whatever he says, do it. Um, now if they say, well, I don't ever hear Jesus that way, then I'll throw that back and say, well, maybe that's why, you know, because you're you're gleaning your own experience with your own decisions, and you're not giving room for Jesus to engage with you. you know? so I'll, I'll encourage them. To, I say, let's try this. I'll encourage them to fast from it. Like, why don't you give that up for just two or three days while you're talking to Jesus about it, and then see how how it works. Yeah, fast mm-hmm. fast from the violence from the video games. Yeah, and and I think I think even things that are beneficial for us, it's really good to fast from them temporarily while I talk to Jesus about it and then let him engage with me about that. Um, he'll Like if you're a musician, for instance, and you've learned to play an instrument, well, it's where a lot of joy is and it's a good thing. You might be a master at it and that may be how you're going to earn your living in the future. But you didn't get that from Jesus. If you just picked up the instrument, you learned how to do it. And then it's something you're engaging in that you have a lot of joy in. And it's hard to tell somebody, well, that may not be right, you know, because it's something that's beneficial and it's something that they're enjoying doing. But go talk to Jesus about it, because if it fits with what he's called you to do, then he'll anoint it. You know? But if it's not, he'll direct you to where your desires are more uh, beneficial and you won't put I mean a lot of people put a false hope in something they hope they can be good at one day and then and then they stumble and fall and fail and then they wonder you know they wasted 20 years of life trying to figure out how to do something that wasn't necessarily what God called them to do and yet it's a good thing you know? so I think we can have that same problem with a with a negative thing or a very good thing and both are something that'd be really good to just fast for a few days and then ask Jesus about it and he'll answer you. Um, You could almost say that about hobbies and stuff too. Absolutely. You could could be uh, a fisherman, but if you're wasting your time out on the lake and God doesn't want you to be out there as long as you're out there 
or the ter bass tournaments or whatever, you know, you, you gotta, it's your, I think you've, you've said it many times. You, you ask, you go to the Lord and you let him lead you in all those little details of your life. All right. So the, the scripture that applies to is like, acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways and he will direct your paths. So it's good ways, bad ways, everything. Whatever I'm doing, just acknowledge him and he'll direct it. But direct it doesn't mean that he'll stop it. It means he'll he'll transform me. He'll he'll lead me out of it if it's detrimental. He'll take me deeper in it with an anointing if it's something beneficial. You know. But if I don't engage with him, it'll just be my thing and it won't be our thing. And it should be something that I do in, in relationship with God. Mm -hmm. I have a good friend that is an extraordinary guitarist. I mean, he, when he was quite young, like eight or nine years old, he picked up a guitar and he just instantly knew how to play it. Nobody gave him lessons. He just picked it up and grabbed a pick and he started playing like he had, like he already knew how. He has a gift for music. Um, but every time he tried to worship in a church, Somebody would get mad at him. Somebody would get upset. He would he would cause a, a negative reaction. And so he came to me one day and he says, I don't understand what's going on. I really want to serve my church and be a part of the worship team. But every time I try to play in a, in a church setting, I end up with somebody mad at me and I can't figure out why this is happening. And so I, I gave him this same counsel. I said, why don't you consider fasting from your guitar? And... Uh, lay it down for a few uh, a few days or a week and and talk to Jesus about it you know and what he heard from the lord is that he was skillful but he was not anointed so he was trying to do the service of a levite in a church without the anointing yeah. wow think about that and i i, I could probably name a 100 people that are functioning in worship capacity with a lot of churches and they're very skillful, but they're not anointed. So how do they, I mean, if he has such an extraordinary gift, it seems like you could rightly say, God gave this to me. This is not normal for me to yeah. be able to play this well and have this ear for music. So how does, he, how does someone like that, was he able to attain anointing and say, God, I want to use this. That's exactly what I, what I would have said too. Um, as I prayed for him, I was like, Jesus, he's, he's so good at this. He's like, well, if he doesn't, the answer I got was Jesus. If he doesn't know that gift comes from me, then it will just create a prideful, very skillful um, area of his life that will be vain and it will become idolatrous to others. But if he turns it over to me, I'll anoint it, and then it will come out of the purity of his heart and his love for me. That makes a lot of sense. You think of the, the worldly music and the right. expert musicians that are out there, but it's all about self. It's all about it's, yeah. it's the enemy fueling the rewards and the benefits of the skill. Right. And God is not in the picture, not being acknowledged at all. And many, many of them get addicted to the stage. They get addicted to the crowd's response to them, and they don't give the glory to God for it. So that's when it's detrimental. You know. And how many times do you hear that? I mean, Elvis, for example. I mean, some some of these people that have 
like a background in church or with gospel music or with a Christian upbringing, you know, and then they get sucked in and say, I, I want to use it the way I want to use it. And these people are promising me the world and look at this lifestyle and, you know, turning their back or even Madonna, right. She, didn't she have a preacher for a, for a father, Papa don't preach. Right. So you look at Elvis's life and hers and and there's so many stories like that. Katy Perry, I think, too. I had a Christian upbringing. Yeah. Many of the best artists have some kind of a spiritual birthing, uh, at least surrounding close to somebody nearby that that loved them and cared for them. Uh, Sometimes that's detrimental because. They're they're dealing with the negative side of Christianity, somebody that's not living for Christ but but pretending to, and um, mm-hmm. that can be damaging. And then we'll see their damage play out in their in their gifts. But again, it it has a lot to do with acknowledging this gift comes from God, and if it comes from God, what does He want me to do with it? Um, I, I met a guy uh, a long time ago. He was playing in a pizza place and. Uh, he was extraordinarily skillful, um, just doing secular music, but he was hired to play on weekends in this pizza place. And often me and a lot of my friends would go there after church on Sundays. And he was just really good. His name was Pete, and Pete was just one of those guys that just had a, you know, I, I remember asking him after hearing him twice, I was like, Pete, have you got any records? He's like, no. I said, how come? You're, you're as good as anyone I've ever heard on the radio, you know. He said, well, I'd like to. I, you know, I went to Nashville and I tried to break into the music industry and I just didn't get my break. But, you know, to him, he was wasting. Uh, he was doing a secular job and he was he was wasting his talent playing in a pizza place. <laughs> and uh, but it was just he loved music so much. He didn't care if he got paid for it. He just wanted to do it. Um, he was really good if people gave him um request if they, you could request any song out there and he could just play it like he knew it I, I couldn't understand how he could be so talented and not be you know well known and recording and something had just not broken through his life so one day um I, I walked in and jesus said to me i really love Pete." you yeah. and i was like well i know you do jesus he's a nice guy and jesus no i really love Pete." He's one of my favorites. And he said, go tell him that his gift belongs to me. I was like, what does that mean? I was about, I was about 15. I was like, what does that mean? Jesus? He's like, just, just go tell him that he'll know what it means. And I just walked up to him and I said, Pete, Jesus said something very amazing to me about you. And I don't know if you, how you feel about somebody hearing God this way. But I got to tell you, Jesus says that he really likes you. I mean, he really likes you and you're one of his favorites and he wants you to give your, your music to him. And he just started crying. You know, he was like, no, he wasn't saved. Uh, He said he wasn't, Um, but he started crying. He was so impacted that the creator of the universe knew him. Not, he didn't grow up in a Christian home. He didn't grow up in, you know, he didn't hang out. The, the only time he hung out with Christians was Sunday night when we showed up to the pizza place. 
His only observation of Christianity was how we conducted ourselves when we came to the restaurant. Never been to church before. So myself, my friends, and other ministers, we were his example of Christianity, and it wasn't always good. We didn't always tip. We didn't always. We weren't always nice. We didn't. I mean, some of the Christians didn't like the secular music and complained about it. But Jesus said, I like him and I like his gift and I want him to know it and I want him to let me have that gift. And so that night he played a a spiritual song and people started requesting spiritual songs and he did a concert that was off the charts and the presence of God filled the place and people started getting saved and set free and delivered and healed. And I just looked around and I said, this is better than any of our worship at church. But it's because he didn't know who he was, you know. And I, so I, I told him at the end of the evening, I said, Pete, there's a possibility. This isn't thus saith Lord, but I said, there's a possibility that Father God has blocked your success in the music industry because this is, because this is, and you, you've got the capacity to do something that is profound if you can just discover Jesus first, you know. So he said, well, would you pray for me? Because I'm not saved. You know, I said, well, sure, I'll pray for you. And I, I didn't tell him to get saved. What I did is I prayed for him to have an encounter with God. And a couple of weeks later, he said that he had had a profound dream. And in the dream, Jesus introduced himself to him. And so he got saved when he woke up and said, wow, if you want to know me, then I want to know you. Um. I don't know where he is today. I didn't keep up with him, but I know he went. He he ended up doing worship in a couple of churches, and just kind of, he came alive because his talent was already there. It was just how was he going to spend it, you know? And so now, what would have happened to him if somebody in the recording industry had discovered him and made room for him? He might he might have never had an encounter with Jesus because he was so extraordinary. He would have hit the stage and been big time. And that can be detrimental for some people um, and others. It can make them, you know, it's what they're born for. It's what they should do. So when a, a, a Christian, well, Christian or not, when a, when a person is not yielding to God or they're having a struggle and, and the sanctification is slow at times, and they pick up lots of baggage. They get strongholds in their mind of, of thinking a certain way or, you know, just struggling through life, not having that joy and that abundance in Christ. Um, what, how did, how do they get started <laughs> turning over those things to have God's strength? Because I, I think we would all agree that as a Christian, we have the strength available, but we don't always know how to tap into it, or right. we don't always have the will to want to do the right things. So right. what what are the steps that a person needs to take to get set free from those things? One of the, one of the most profound benefits that we have in Scripture that is being underutilized in the world today is the power of blessing. Um, we're instructed in number six to bless all of the children of Israel. When I say we're, that scripture is written to Moses and the priest, go tell Aaron and the priest to to bless all the children of Israel. But I I firmly believe that that that's applied to every child that's born should have a blessing from God. 
and we've been withholding the blessing from our households and from much of the, the community because we don't understand the power of blessing. Um, when you when you give someone a blessing, you're guaranteeing that they're going to have an encounter with God. It's like putting a stamp on an envelope and mailing it. It doesn't get delivered without the stamp. There's something about blessing that causes connection with God and that person, and it guarantees they're going to have an encounter with God. He's going to answer the blessing. You know? So the, the, the blessing in number six is may the Lord bless you and keep you. you know? Think of a child that's just been born and doesn't know who he is or what he's going to be or doesn't even hadn't even thought about what he's going to do when he grows up or not, just barely knows what his name is. And, and you give him this blessing, may the Lord bless you and keep you. What does it mean to be kept by God? It means God's going to engage with that child to keep him. You know? And God's going to do something that's extraordinary in response to that. The next part of that, may he cause his face to shine upon you. Well, most people in the world today believe God is kind of a, I don't care about you, or I'm a mean thing out here. If you're not doing things my way, then, then you know, I'm not nice. And their perception of God is not. He's, he's ecstatically in love with me. You know? He can't contain himself when I walk in the room. You know? He leaps and jumps and shouts at the sight of me. You know? His face glows so much, everyone in the room knows he loves me. If that was imparted to every child, their life would end up very differently. May may he cause his countenance to be lifted up on you. That means you become a mirror. And now you're going to reflect back to others that how much he loves you. You're going to know you're loved and you're going to learn how to love others too. And then the fact that that is a, A blessing means that I'm giving somebody a gift. That's what a blessing is. And when they receive this gift, God's going to do something with it. So that particular blessing guarantees that you're going to have a face-to-face with God at some point in your life. Well, that's pretty profound. So you're encouraging people that want to mature in the Lord and they're kind of stuck to to reach outward and to bless other people that you will receive a breakthrough with what you're trying to deal with. That's that's exactly what the instruction to Abram was. In blessing, I will bless you. means when you start giving blessing away, I will bless you. So Abraham, by the time he becomes Abraham, He's learned to be generous. He's learned to give. He's learned to, to, to try to treat people respectfully. Uh, he's extraordinarily generous with Lot, even though Lot did not deserve it. And every time he did that, he got an increase of the covenant, an increase of the blessing from God. And what does it say in the New Testament? Give, and it shall be given unto right. you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, right. and running over. So I think we and that's not just dealing with money. Yeah, I think yeah. we ought to teach our children the benefit of learning to give what you desire. You know, that if you learn to give it, you're going to get an increase of it, or you're going to get more to give, and you'll get all that you can hold. 
But blessing is incredible because it has power with God to perform what you say. You know? So it is the closest we have to the ability to co-create with God. When I speak something that's a blessing over somebody else, I can create in them what God wants. And he then backs it up with his presence, his power, uh, his ability to communicate with them. Uh, it, it puts a seal on them that engages God. You know? And we ought to be doing this a lot. I think we should. Uh, why does the scripture even say to bless our enemies? Because it's the quickest way to transform them. It's the most beneficial weapon we have. You know? Because if I bless somebody that hates me, uh, as soon as God starts engaging with them because of that, they're going to find it difficult to hate me. You know? The benefits are so immense. Now, I, I've got one friend that's a, a Jewish rabbi. Um, I thought I understood blessing, but I was very, uh, you know, I was 40 years old, still in kindergarten on this topic. And I just asked him, I said, would you please explain to me number six? I, I, I read it, but I'd like to see it demonstrated. And I'd like to, to you to explain it to me in Hebrew so I can understand the, the depth of it. And he said, well, let me just demonstrate it. So he called his wife and his children at the table Um his wife was fixing dinner and she, she, you know, stopped for a moment, came, sat down at the table for a few minutes. And he turned his chair around, looked her right in the eyes, scooted up close to her, got about six inches from her face, reached over and, and, and got her by the cheeks and pulled her face a little close to his. So it was just, they were eyeball to eyeball. And then he said to her, I only have eyes for you. And when he said it, his face was glowing at her with, with this incredible amount of love. And immediately she burst into tears. Yeah. And now she had her apron on. She was cooking. I was a guest. She was trying to get food ready for all of us. Uh, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it was comical that he interrupted what she likes doing for somebody else just to give her a blessing. But when he did it, she just melted. And then he, uh, she turned and looked at me and she goes, he gets me every time. Like, I, I can't ever keep a dry eye when he does this to me. And I was like, this is so profound because I saw his face glowing. You know, I mean, he just, he, he, she was the only person in the room at that moment. He was giving her that kind of love on the expression of his face. And then he added to it. He just, he just lavished a couple of things on her that was just so amazing to watch. And, um, then his kids literally started grabbing his arms like, uh, I want a blessing, Daddy. I want a blessing, Daddy. They, they were begging him for their blessing, you know. And so he's like, just a minute, Mama's first, you know. And he honored her in front of the children. And then he sent her back to the stove to get the script, get our, our supper together. And he turned to his kids. He did the same thing with his kids. When he was done, I, I said, you know, how often do you do this? He said, I do this every Shabbat. And if my children ever have a struggle with anything, I add to it then too. You know? So that's weekly, right? Yeah. Shabbat so is once every, a week. Every, yeah. yeah, every Friday evening he would do it. But he also said, like, if his kids stumble, if they fall, if they get hurt, I don't just hold them and put a Band-Aid on it. I'll, I'll bless them with strength. I'll bless them with ability to 
respond to this and, and lift themselves up and get back to normal, you know. And he go, uh, it's like, man, this is so profound, you know. But what was amazing was looking at a five- and six-year-old child, and they were begging him for the blessing because they understood the benefit of it. Yeah. Uh, but you were also speaking of the power of the blessing. Right. And they were, they were longing for those words to receive. Right. But he was also the beneficiary because he was willing to give. Right. So if you're... Because you, you're you know, talking about his face was even radiating with... Yeah, it's, it's ministering to someone else. This is what he was demonstrating. I will lift my countenance up, up on you, you know. So it became real evident that this blessing's coming from God, not just from him, you know. Yeah. And it connected his children with how much God loves them, you know. Um, the next time I saw it, I was in a public setting, and um, he was on the stage with me. We were both speaking at a conference, <clears throat> and his wife walked in. Uh, she was out there taking care of the table, so I knew she was with him. But he went up to the stage and took a seat up there, and they had a seat up there for her also. But but she just walked in, and when she walked into the room, he stood up, and he looked out across the crowd, and he beamed at her from across the room. And he just stood there like he couldn't wait it was just like a bridegroom waiting for his bride to walk down the aisle. He couldn't wait for her to get up there where he was sitting and the whole crowd saw it. <laughs> and everybody turned and looked at what he was looking at because his face was glowing at him, you know? And Jesus then said to me, he says, this is how you know if someone loves you. If their mm -hmm. face lights up when they see you walk in the room, then they really love you. If they don't, glow when you walk in the room then they probably don't love you or they just haven't seen you yet but if they see you and they don't light up then they don't know you the way i know you and i went wow lord i mean i can i mean almost every friend i have doesn't glow when i walk in the room so <laughs> i got some work to do <laughs> and, uh, so to peter's question so obviously if you're kind of stuck which my pastor has been preaching on vexed a lot, all these different spirits that are mentioned in the Bible that are vexate and, and cause, um, you know, strongholds in people's lives. I don't know. It, it, I wonder sometimes if you might see, need some outside intervention, <laughs> you know, because you, you might not have the power or the strength or the energy or even though you mentioned willpower to bless somebody else. Right. So it's like, I understand the, the cry of one's heart, you know, to the Lord to be like, Lord, I don't even know what, where to begin. But I, but you even mentioned in the very beginning today, I guess if you just start there, if you're honest and be like, Lord, take me on a journey with you. I want to know you. Right. I don't know where to begin. And then, <laughs> you know. And what and what are and what are some of the ways that you have seen Tim uh God answer that very question for yourself or for others? What journeys have people taken because it seems as I'm slowly learning about these things that and this goes back to Tim the way you've um 
described it, like even dealing with the Canaanite altars, like it wasn't the same prescription for every case. You had to inquire of the Lord, how do you want me to deal with this in this instance? Right. So how, what ways have you seen people get set free, whether it's, oh, okay, in this case it was demonic and they needed help, and and or in this case it was there were wounds in their past that God had to to heal and show them, you know, or, you know, uh, that God brought them through a period where they really learned to rely on his word or, you know, what are some of those examples that you've seen where, okay, this was the medicine for the, each of these situations. Yeah. Well, I, I think in watching over our heart is the most important thing. And the first thing we need to understand is we're a spirit, soul, and body. And for the the average person in the world today, they only understand the soul and the body. They don't. They're not engaging with their spirit at all. Um, in fact, the word says that our spirit is dead. It's it's. It doesn't mean it's physically dead. It means it's lifeless. It doesn't have its own personality active. It's not functional. So it's like laying in a coma, but it's inside you. You know. And when you get saved. The, the scripture says that God quickens our mortal spirit. That, that word quicken means he shocks it back to life, you know. So he brings it out of the grave. He, he activates it again to be alive. Now, because we're so not in tune with our spiritual life, then we default to our soul and our, and our flesh, which is our mind, will, and our emotions, and then our physical being. And so almost everyone's um understanding about themselves relates to how i think or how i feel or or you know my mind my will and my emotions and uh yeah or my physical being and if if it hurts if i get hurt physically i hurt in my heart also but um first of all we've got to learn to to put on god's nature and so the the elementary side of knowing Jesus is to become like him and he helps us he wants to help us so he doesn't do that in a condemning way uh, I've never had him say you dirty rotten sinner you know I wish he hadn't have done that it's always how do you feel about that or what you know what do you think about that well well I shouldn't have done that 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 was bad okay well let's change it then and he wants us to be like him but he's such a gentleman uh, he's so kind and caring and loving. So uh, the first thing I found when I began engaging with God is I didn't love like he did. Yeah. Uh, I got, I got uh, a little frustrated, a little upset with a couple of other kids. Um, didn't always like, you know, something that um, if it wasn't the way I wanted. Uh, I had this intuitive ability to know where other people were hurting and I didn't know why I knew that or how I knew that, but then nobody knew when I was hurting. Yeah. And so that was frustrating. So I went to Jesus and I said, I, I've discovered something that I'm not like you. You know, I don't, I don't love like you. And I said, uh, if somebody does something wrong to me, uh, it's hard for me to love them the way you love them. And I said, uh, would you help me with that? And the first thing he did, first thing I heard was, well, do you love yourself? I was like, well, no, I don't think so. Yeah. There's a lot of things about me I don't like. Yeah. 
He said, well, why would you not like something that I made? Why, why would you not want to celebrate what I delight in? Because yeah. you were fearfully and wonderfully made, and I'm ecstatic about you. So why would you not feel that way about you? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I guess I'm not seeing myself the way you are. So I said, would you show me my heart then? I, I want to know what it is about me that you like. You know, don't just tell me you love me. Show me what it is. You know, And um, he did. He showed me some really amazing things about myself that I had never thought of and nobody else had ever pointed out. But then he also showed me some things that were detrimental. Like, well, you got a few things in there that uh, aren't what I created. Let's let's deal with that. You know? So uh, this stuff isn't always demonic, but if I'm not acting right, if I'm doing something contrary to the nature that God created me with, then I'm opening usually a door for the demonic realms. And so then I might start having trouble. And if I don't respond to that trouble when it's first engaging with me, it can become a part of me. Oh, that's when somebody becomes uh, possessed or oppressed by a demonic entity. It's because they first opened the door to it, and then they fellowship with it in some way, not necessarily knowingly, but by not uh, turning away from the thing that that uh, is part of that other nature. So we have to learn to hate what God hates and love what God loves. And I have to sometimes see in myself where I've opened the door to something like that. Lots of people in the body of Christ have been taught to do spiritual warfare, but they don't always do a good job at closing the doors. So we start trying to kick the devil's teeth instead of shut the door. And it's kind of exciting to some people think that I can go to war with the devil and I can beat up on him. Well, all right, but then he's beating up on you too. And often that kind of spiritual warfare gets, gets, um, backlash or gets a response it's just it's an endless cycle of fighting and then getting waylaid and then filing and then getting waylaid and winning a battle and then and then losing a battle and so when i discovered that these things are all rooted in something in my heart and if i deal with my heart then i don't have to deal with the enemies of god and so uh, first one with me was like all right then how come i don't love people is that because I just don't know how to love or is that because there's something in my heart that I've opened the door to that's not the nature of God? Well, if you hate your brother, it's like the sin of witchcraft. Well, what does that mean? How is that connected? Do you realize that if if I just hate you secretly and I never say it, if I just say it in my heart, but I never voice it, if I never act, you know, if I just avoid you and just make sure you're not in the room when I'm in the room because I don't like you, you know, that that hatred can release into the city a, a spiritual dynamic that unleashes stuff that's demonic. Yeah. It's like the sin of murder, too. Uh, hatred and murder are almost the same. So hatred towards somebody is murder, according to Scripture, even if you don't physically kill them. So what am I doing? By my hatred, I'm releasing something in the spiritual realm that is killing their spirit. 
it's it it depresses them it makes them think they're not worthy it makes them have difficulty it it may even shut up the heavens over them because if i'm retaining some sin that they did then god may retain it until i forgive them that's a dynamic that we really need to start preaching more about because we don't realize that probably the key to revive our whole cities and transform them already is in the house of God, but we're not conducting ourselves very well. So I discovered this in my own life. I was dealing with um, a lot of demonic stuff. Uh, Some of it was what I was seeing and engaging in the spiritual realm, and I didn't like it. I wanted all that to stop and heaven to increase. I was like, I I don't want to have to get through the demonic stuff just to have an engagement with God. So why am I seeing all this stuff? And the more I prayed into it, the more Jesus pointed out to me that it was things in my heart that weren't right. So I'm, I'm creating an opportunity to engage with something in the spiritual realm, but it's actually coming out of me. So hatred is, is one thing. I had, had one guy that I just, I did not like him at all when I was in grade school and I didn't know why I didn't like him, you know. I couldn't really tell you that it was because he did something to me. He just, he just, everyone else I loved, but that guy I didn't. But Jesus wouldn't let me get away with it. He's like, you know, I want you to love him the way I love him. So I repented and nothing changed. I repented again and nothing changed. I went to him personally and repented to him. And a tiny bit of things changed, you know. I mean, I felt a little bit better, and I had a little bit of a, just a tiny little ounce of, okay, I guess he's okay, but I still don't like him, you know. And then I said, Jesus, I'm trying to fix this, and it's not working. Like, I I don't have your heart in this. I don't know why. What is it? And Jesus said to me, you've not seen him the way I made him. You've only seen the things you don't like. So you're judging him based upon the outer appearance or what you've heard. And you're not judging him based upon my, my design of creation. So he said, come up here and sit with me, and, and then I'll let you look back down on his life, and you're going to see what I see when I made him. And I got a download that was amazing. Like, this guy was so incredible. I was like, oh, Jesus. I mean, how do we get that guy fully functional in the city? Like, we need all that stuff. You know? And Jesus said, well, you're the key to unlock that. When you love him, it'll unlock. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just went to him and I said, look, I saw you from the heavenly realms. And here's what I saw. You know? Now, what I actually voiced was his identity, who he was. This is who, what God made. This is how he made you. This is what your name means. This is what he created you for. This is who you really are. And I discovered at that moment that I was the first person that had ever told him who he really was. What he heard every day at his home was, you're never going to amount to anything. I wished I'd never had you. You're the worst son I've ever known. You know, uh, he heard nothing but, but evil spewing out of his household towards him. And then the one Christian that was nearby didn't know how to love him. Well, um, when I repented for that, um, that, that time, because I 
the key was his identity. Then I repented to him again. That time it came out of me different. I, I, I was broken. I was remorseful. I was seeing that I'm the reason why he's still locked up because I won't let him be what God created him to be. And I took those shackles off of him. I, I repented fully in my heart. That's when I believe my spirit engaged. And then I blessed him. I blessed him to be who God created him to be. And we're still friends to this day. Uh, he transformed phenomenally. But I, I'm, concern, cons, I, I'm concerned about this topic because we think that we do that by saving people. If we can just get them to go to church and just get them to change and just get them saved, then they're going to clean up. But the reality is a, a lot of what may be detrimental in their life is is our attitude towards them because we don't see them the way God sees them. Now, I, God took that a little further later. Um, I, I got pretty free of that. I, I went a, a, a quite a while without feeling like I hated anybody until somebody did something really, really wrong to me. And it was damaging and hurtful. And it was a false, uh, it was a false accusation, but it was very damaging and hurtful. Thanks for listening to the Days of Noah podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Remember always to like, share, and subscribe. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a positive five-star review. Share it with your family and friends and tune in again next week. If you'd like to support this podcast, please click the support link in the bottom of the description and choose a support level. This will help keep the episodes rolling, the quality of the episodes high, and continue our research into these important topics. We appreciate each and every listener out there. Thanks so much for being a part of our family. Take care and God bless. See you next week.